Welcome to the Attractions Group Podcast. This is episode 45. My name is Ryan Sir, and with me as always is the co-host with the most, Don Helbig. Hey, Don, how you doing today? You know, Ryan, I'm doing great. Uh, you know, it's, summer's just around the corner, my favorite time of year. You know, I love that the temperatures are rising now. I don't need a jacket or anything to go outside. Uh, so I'm very happy right now. I'm very excited that, uh, you know, it's a summer season and all the parks in full bloom. They're all open now daily and things. So couldn't be a better time of year. Yep. I, I, I completely agree. It's, um, you know, we talk about first sign of spring, first sign of summer and, and so on. But, uh, you know, it's, as of the record, the, the recording right now this is the last day of May. And then once you get June 1st, I know that the scientists will argue, but to me, indisputable summer on June 1st. What do you think about that? Well, I, you know, for me, it's uh, Memorial Day. I mean, that that mm-hmm. to me is like the kickoff of summer, you know, uh, although it's unofficial. But, you know, you start thinking summer, then the water parks are all open. Uh, you know, everybody's cooking out. Schools are ending. Yeah, I agree. So I, it, it's it's summer. I don't have to calendar in June to think it's summer. I think that right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I agree. And and you know what? To me, uh, Memorial Day to Labor Day is summer. Um, but I was thinking, like, you know, once June first hits, nobody can really argue. Oh, it's still spring, except for the pretentious people. Where they're like, oh, wait till the equinox. I'm not waiting for the equinox, dude. You know. <laughs> exactly. Well, Ryan, you know, we want everybody to follow us on Twitter. It is at attractions underscore GRP. Um, you know, definitely follow us there. And uh, as we get into uh, this episode, you know, we'll give you one of the reasons why. You can also hear us on all your favorite podcast apps. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. And, uh, you know, sponsorship opportunities are available. You know, we have a couple of different things that we can do. If you're interested in being a sponsor of the Attractions Group podcast, uh, just send us a message through Twitter and uh, we'll be in touch and uh, we'll have a, a package that's right for you. So, Ryan, my understanding is, and I hear this through the grapevine, some of your friends and that you don't tell me anything, mm-hmm. uh, is that uh, you have a big weekend coming up here. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to Tennessee. Dollywood? Yeah, Dollywood. Um, which, uh, yeah, obviously, you know, I mentioned several weeks ago that I went there the second weekend of the season, but I had to make a return trip because Big Bear Mountain's now open, which I'm very excited for. But I need the listeners' help, and this is why I'm bringing this up so early. So I may do another one of those dinner shows. I, I really enjoyed Hatfields and McCoys when we went down there uh, back in March or April or whenever it was. Uh, but I'm debating between the other two Hershen ones, the Pirate Adventure and Dixie Stampede. So if anyone's been to either of those, shoot us a tweet at attractions underscore GRP. Let me know what you think. You know, uh, I because I know that a lot of people have done both and there's lobbying organizations for either one. Kind of leaning towards Dixie Stampede, but the pirate one looks pretty cool too. They both cost about the same. The food's about the same and stuff. So it comes down to which entertainment we want to have. Um. So yeah. So Don, what do we have going on today? Well, we have a... A show that uh, you and I have done a couple different times. It's a lot of fun and involves our audience, our followers on Twitter. It's a viewers special. So what we're going to do is we will read some of the tweets that we received over the past couple of weeks. We'd solicited your questions. So tonight is the night that we're going to answer those questions. Answer them, we will. Okay. Well, let's get started. What we'll do is, uh, I guess I'll read the tweets and then uh, we'll get your input and then I'll talk about it. By the way, I love your Hawaiian shirt. The cars on it. I haven't seen that yeah. one yet. That's cool. 
Um, yeah, I have about 15 other ones that uh, you'll start to see working around the Bucky's ones that I wear and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much have um, all the other shirts that I, you know, had like dress shirts and those kind of things that I don't ever wear anymore. Pretty much have retired those, put them away and uh, just made room in the closet for I think I have like 16, 17, maybe these right now, but 15 is kind of the standard I go through. And then there's those two special ones like Bucky's. Do you, uh, so when they open up a category for podcasting for the Grammys, when we accept ours, should we wear Hawaiian shirts and like tie ties with the Hawaiian shirts? I think that'd be kind of fun. Well, I'm wearing the Bucky's one on that one. So I well mean, then wear I, a Bucky's tie. I'm sure that they'll have them. I could. <laughs> they have them. They do have them. Yes. So maybe I'll do that. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's, uh, without further ado, let's kick this off. So, uh, by the way, so if we, uh, if we're reading your tweet, we really appreciate you, uh, you messaging us and uh, participating in the show. Um, couldn't get to all of them, and, obviously. And and we use your question. We want you to go on Twitter and say the Attractions Group podcast read my question. Yep, I completely, completely. All right, and then we'll retweet you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Okay. Exactly. All right. So exactly. the, That's how it the works. first tweet, this is from at Jenny Fiedler 16. If you weren't involved in the theme parks, what would you guys be doing instead? Don, if you weren't involved in theme parks, what would you be doing? I think I would be doing what I was doing before I got involved on the, you know, on the side of the theme parks. And that would be, um, broadcasting professional sports, either hockey, you know, maybe baseball, football, you know, something along those lines. That's what I was doing. I was in the American Hockey League as a broadcaster with the Albany River Rats. And, um, you know, I really enjoyed that. So I think that's what I probably would still be doing. Um, but I think that's what I would do. It, it would definitely be something in sports, if not broadcasting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, what about you, Ryan? Well, I mean, for me, it's uh, some would argue that I, I am, do not work in the industry, but um, you know, I, the, the other interest that I have, uh, I'm very passionate about hockey and college football, so I'd probably be far more involved in them. Um, you know, it's, uh, there are a lot of opportunities in this market for like minor league hockey, especially a lot of come and go. So, mm-hmm. uh, I'm really interested in game day experiences and, uh, unique things that people can do, um, you know, and teams can do to draw people in. I love to see that succeed. I love to see people get excited about it. So if I was going to work in the industry, uh, if I was going to work in the entertainment industry and not be working for a park, I would probably be doing that. Yeah. You know, real quick to go back to sports, I left just as like social media was coming about in the things you could do today. Uh, you know, with, you know, with the storytelling, you know, uh, with the printing press today being Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, YouTube, all those kind of things. There'll be so many more tools for me to work with uh, than than I had when I was doing that. So I kind of, you know, regret that I, that I missed that boat. Uh, but, uh, you know, love what I'm doing right now, though. Yeah, I agree. And one thing that I've always thought about is um, like let's let's use like a minor league hockey team uh, there's there's one that's that's local here called the cyclones and you know they draw from very little to a lot depending on what's going on but if they had a special event let's say let's say hawaiian shirt day that's a perfect example if they had hawaiian shirt day and everybody wore their hawaiian shirts and you know the mascot wore a hawaiian shirt one thing that i would do that i haven't really seen a lot of teams do for uh for particular events is promote a hashtag with it like hashtag 
Cyclones Hawaiian shirt, you know, something like that. Um, and I think that that would go pretty far, you know, even if you have only three or 4,000 people, if a handful of people are doing it, then that usually makes ripples. So that I, I agree with you on that front. Cool. All right. Uh, so next. let's go to the next one. So a friend of the show at FYE Coasters, who's also on YouTube. So make sure you check him out. Um, he asked a couple questions. The first one is, what's your favorite midway game or arcade game? Don, what's your favorite midway game or arcade game? Wow. Um, I like ring toss. So I would go with that as uh, my favorite midway game. Arcades, not really too much. Um, I, I can't have, I don't have one that would, you know, stand out as, as my favorite, but uh, you know, for midway games, it's either going to be ring toss or, you know, if they have something like a football toss, because that's something I think I have a chance to win, you know, by throwing a football. Just like Greg Brady. What about right? you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the only arcade game that I play a lot is the um, like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory game. I have a bunch of sets and stuff because I was saving up for the King's Island 50th anniversary pillow and then they ran out of them and then they never replenished. So now I've got a ton of cards and a ton of points and I'm still trying to decide what to spend spend them on, you know, so I've been shopping for about a year on that stuff. Yeah. Um, also, like the the ball toss, like the um, you yeah. throw the wiffle ball into the cup. I think that's kind of cool, too. All right. Uh, so the next one is also from at FYE Coasters. What's your go-to ride at any park on a rainy day? What's your go-to ride at any park on a rainy day, Don? On a rainy day. Wow. Um, you know, I, I'm still going to go with the uh, like a, a wooden roller coaster if it's operating in the rain. Uh, you know, there's just something about riding it and just getting, you know, uh, pelted with the rain. It's just a unique experience. It's fun. It's memorable. So I would still go with uh, if they have a wooden roller coaster and it's running in the rain, I'm going to be on that. Yeah. Excellent choice. Um, now, I'm the opposite. I'm going to say the dark ride, no matter what it is, because I infamously hate getting my shoes soaked. So not that I'm like sensitive about my shoes. I'm just sensitive about my feet getting wet. But um, yeah, I uh, I try to stay out of the rain. When I was younger, when I was like 13, 14, I used to love to go to parks in the rain. And I would always get a kick out of it that like the rain would hit your face and it felt like someone was throwing razors at you. But, you know, as, as an adult, um, not so much. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not, I mean, it is different as an adult. I mean, you have a little bit more, you know, common sense to get out of the rain in that. But, um, you know, if, if I'm at a park, especially if I've traveled far to get there, I'm going to still try to make the most of my day. And if a ride's running, I'm riding it. Yeah, I mean, if I, if I traveled, most certainly, like, I'm not going to forego riding their big ride or riding something I want to ride because of the rain. Um, you know, like at Dollywood, if it was raining one of the days we were there, I'd ride everything. But I'm staying at my home park when I'm there all the time. If it starts raining, I usually hunker down or, um, you know, ride the dark ride or something. Okay. Awesome. All right. So the next one, this is a really good one. Um, actually, two really good ones from the same person. So at Coaster Hour. First question. How is the name and theme of an attraction decided upon? Is it a process that takes a ton of research, surveys, et cetera, or is the process much more simpler? Don, you've been through this. Tell me. Yeah, and it's been different many, many different times, too, depending on uh, you know what the attraction is, how many stakeholders might be involved in that. You know, do you have an agency involved? you know, the corporate office involved, is it just done? I mean, it, it can go any way really. And it, it just, every, every park's going to be different. Every chain's going to be different on how that goes about. Now, you know, when Diamondback, uh, 
was was going to be the new ride at Kings Island for the 2009 season in 2008. It was as simple as just suggesting the name Diamondback. The general manager liked it, you know, called the, uh, the, the you know, the chief operating officer. And, you know, we kind of like this name and OK, you know, you're able to do it, uh, you know, but then you fast forward years later with Mystic Timbers and, you know, now we're looking to have a backstory. You know, we're, we're looking you know, to have a creative team involved. Uh, um, entertainment team gets everybody you know had a say and and trying to form the story and and it took a little bit longer uh you know but at the end of the day you get it right uh so it really just depends on you know what your setup is you know if you're a smaller park like say a knobles your family owned uh you can come up with it pretty quick yeah yeah Um, and uh what comes to mind is remember when we asked uh dino from dino's wonder wheel how they came up with the name phoenix for their uh vacoma inverticoaster he said you know, we were coming back from the pandemic and we were rising from the ashes. So we decided on on Phoenix, which probably their family sat down at dinner and decided that. But it's different when there's more stakeholders, right? Oh, exactly. Yes, yeah, there's going to be a lot more involved with it. Um, and, and it's become, you know, the ride is always, you know, great. And that's what the experience about. But you need more than that nowadays, too. You know, you kind of need a little bit of a backstory. You need the theming. Uh, you need all those things in play. And there's a lot of different teams involved with that. So it does take a lot longer. Uh, but I think the final product's a lot nicer when you have that backstory, you have the theming, and then, you know, you get on the ride. So you're you're saying, and this is going off of, um, you know, yeah. the original tweet. So, but the, so they're not asking this, I am. But um, y- you make a good point, And I completely agree with you. I think that the, that the appetite now is that it's not you don't want to have a wooden coaster. You want to have a wooden coaster that tells a story, which, which I think is awesome. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You want a story driven attraction. I think that's where the industry is right now. Uh, the ride alone, you know, it's going to have to be great if you don't have that backstory and everything else with it. Yeah. Do you think that, uh, when do you think that pivot happened? I mean, I know it's always kind of been there, but when do you think that pivot happened to where it's like, okay, if you're a credible park, this is almost a requirement. Um, and what do you think caused that shift? I think just as a couple of parks started doing it, you know, and then it, it's like anything else that, uh, you know, it's, it's a copycat type of thing everywhere, you know, whether it's sports or the theme park industry, you know, works somewhere, you want to try it and, and it just kind of catches on. So I would say, you know, probably around 2014, 15 range is when that started to, uh, you know, become more of a focus and you had to have, you know, really sometimes the name, um, idea and the backstory and then what the attraction is going to be comes about sometimes you know before it was the attraction let's make a story around this so now sometimes it's the other way around too do you think that um in some regards the ride is irrelevant like okay so when i don't want to go irrelevant no 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 I mean, the ride's okay, no, no, no no i'm not saying the ride's irrelevant i'm not saying that you can because then you get into like uh like the jimmy fallon ride situation where the experience is good right. but the ride is mediocre but i'm saying like uh with something like banshee like it makes all the sense in the world that that you know whoever decided that decided on Banshee because it's a inverted coaster, so it's like you're flying and so on. So I see where that's coming from, but it would also probably work for a wood coaster too, you know. So it's almost yeah, like exactly. you, you build the theme and the name and the logo and the merchandise and stuff, and you know you the ride can make sense, but it it almost isn't forced to. You know, would would you agree or disagree with that? Oh, I agree with that, and you know. You also now, when you're coming up with your name, you want a logo that is going to withstand the test of time. Mm -hmm. So 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, 
you know, it, it's still as strong as it was its first day in terms of selling merchandise. You look at a ride like the beast. Yeah. You know, that name, that logo, I mean, that has withstood the test of time. And if you, if that ride was coming out today, I mean, just imagine the backstory you could have with that. Well, and it's funny because the, with the beast itself, they almost, uh, you know, backfilled the lore into it. And it's funny. Um, I want to bring this up for people that haven't listened to like earlier episodes of the podcast, because we have discussed this, but kind of interesting that they announced the ride, they announced the stats and they had like a little model or, or at least a, a sketch of it. They didn't have a name until later, you know? So it's, it's interesting. Oh, yeah. Like you would never do that in today's world, you know? No, the beast was, you know, so they announced it, um, you know, in July of 1978 and it was just called, you know, all they said was it's going to be America's champion roller coaster. Right. And just by saying that, some people thought the name was champion. No, it was just they just referenced it as it was going to be the champion roller coaster. And they couldn't decide on the name. And it was, you know, February of uh, So It was going to open, you know, here we are, what, two, three months away from opening. And they just now have the name. So, yeah, it's definitely changed over the past 40 years, 40 plus years on, on how you go about it. So much more involved. The bigger the park, the bigger the chain, you know, the more involved it is, the more stakeholders you have involved. Um, so it does become more of a process, you know, versus being maybe a smaller family owned park where you could sit down over dinner and come up with an idea. Okay. So l let me, let me do a thought experiment with you on this. Cause this is kind of interesting. So we, we both agree that, uh, part of the reason why names and rides themselves are announced when they're announced is because it's too easy for the average person to get their hands on it. It gets out too widely and then you don't have any element of surprise. All right. So if you could announce a ride without a name would you rather do that or would you rather announce the theme of a ride but say it's going to be a roller coaster and then be able to drop another press release like in february and march as to what it'll, exactly it'll be like because i think it would be kind of cool to stretch out the anticipation with that like would that work do you think it'd be hard to stretch it out because you know it, it's easy for people to to obtain a lot of the information. Right, I'm, I'm saying like like the the public records thing, not a thing. The copyright thing, not a thing. I'm saying mm -hmm. like in a perfect vacuum, perfect perfect world. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. You know, it'd be great to kind of to play it out. You know, and kind of stretch it out and have all that speculation, and especially in in the in the world we live in today with social media, just think of all the chatter you would have. You know how much everybody's looking for the next clue, the next piece of information. Uh, you know, kind of. You know, I'll go back to the what's in the shed for Mystic Timbers. You know, here was a ride that we're looking at it on paper, you know, very pedestrian, like it's a great ride, but you almost have to ride it because you're not going to be wowed by the numbers, you know, of how high it is, how long it is, how fast it is. That doesn't wow anybody in today's world, you know, until you ride it. So you needed something else to keep everybody going. So, yeah, if you have something like a what's in the shed type of thing where everybody's talking about it for months before they, they, they ever get on it and you can drop little clues and it all comes together, you know, you're piecing it together. I think in a perfect world, that would be a great thing to do. Just imagine, um, I mean, you could even do this. You could, let's say you announce your inverted coaster, your wooden coaster, whatever, in like mid-July when the construction uh -huh. becomes evident. And then you start the teaser campaign as to what's going on, you know? Because so you could even like integrate the actual ride itself into like, oh, it's Banshee themed or it's, you know, woods themed. Uh, I don't know how to describe Mystic Timbers theme, Lumberjack themed, you know. Um, so I, I think yeah. that would be really cool. But again, that's not the world we live in anymore, but it would be kind of neat. You know? Yeah, exactly. Great question. Yeah, that was a really good one. And we actually have another really, really good one from Coaster Hour. And this is probably a question that you and I would 
discuss over a beer off camera because this is such a good question. From what from what you know, how is it determined if a new addition such as a roller coaster was a good investment for a park or not? Well, I think obviously, you know, you're looking at attendance, right? Season pass sales attendance, right off the bat, you are the first, you know, couple years. Does it bring people from outside of your your core market uh, to your park? That's, you know, your your first thing you're looking at to, to know if it's a good investment. But then the other piece of it is, you know, five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road, are people still coming uh, for that attraction? Look, the beast. Yes, they are. You know, so things like that to where, um, you know, you're just looking for something. It's it's not you're not looking for the immediate return. I mean, it has to be, you know, you're looking down the long haul, you know, five, 10 years down the road, too. Is it still performing for you? Yeah. I mean, I would say that probably the um, the benefit is very incremental because I don't think that you'll see twenty five or thirty million dollars the first year. I mean, no, and you don't um, No, You definitely don't. I mean, when a ride costs that much, it, it takes a while to get that back. Um, so a ride has to be good enough to sustain it. Uh, so in that fourth, fifth, sixth year, it's still, you know, everyone's still talking about it. It's still one of your signature attractions and still bringing people, you know, who normally would not have come to your park. You know, they've heard about it. They got to get there. They're coming from Boston if your park's in St. Louis or something like that. Okay. Let me ask you this though. Here's a good twist on it. You had a ride, record breaker, whatever, great ride, loved by everybody, maintenance nightmare and expensive. Is that a success, a failure, or is that like a sideways success? It has to work all the way around. You know, you, you can't keep pouring money into it, you know. Um, and I mean, you do put money into every single ride, but it cannot be a major, you know, headache for you. It can't have a lot of downtime. It can't be any of those things uh, to be a success. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's, um, the, I mean, there are different expectations too with that. Like if a ride has a lot of downtime, yeah. maybe somebody did fly from Vancouver, Canada to the East Coast of the United States to ride this ride. Yeah. And then they don't get to in their three-day stay, you know? Yeah, and there's other pieces of it too. Are people buying the merchandise? You yeah. Know, are, you know, people spending multiple days, you know, uh, if you're not a pass holder, are you buying like a two-day ticket? Um, if you're a destination place, you know, are they, they staying in a hotel and going to the park, you know, three, four, five days, you know, just because they can't get enough of it. So those are the kind of things that, uh, you know, you look at too, that, uh, you know, and, and it's not just one thing you can't tell, you know, right off the bat and, and you're not going to ever, you know, no, no one's going to increase their attendance by like 30% because you put a new ride in or anything like that. Uh, it's a very, you know, mature industry. Now you just don't have those kind of increases. So, you know, it's small increases, you sell more passes, you sell more tickets, you know, people extending their stay because they can't get enough of it. There's all those kind of things that you look at. Yeah. Well, how would you um, parse out the difference? Like, would it be against an industry trend? So for example, um, if you open a major coaster in 2021, it would be a very big difference between, let's take out 2020. I know you're, you've been through yeah. that, but that's a completely odd year. But 2021, people are still a little afraid and stuff, and the world was still kind of like in a dumb position. 2022, things were back to normal. So, but comparatively, one really, really drew, but the park next door put in a coaster that cost just as much, but their attendance that same day went up and 
you know, visits went up and stuff. Like, is there like a weight you can put it against within the industry to determine if it's a success? Because other economic and outside factors have a lot to do with that. 9-11 made people afraid to travel. Recessions make people afraid to spend money and so on. Yeah, I mean, all those things have to factor into it, Ryan. So, um, you know, it's just not one thing that that you look at to, to know if it was a good investment for the park. I mean, typically, you know, with the um, manufacturer that you're going to go with, the type of ride you're going to you know go with, you have a pretty good idea of what it's going to do for you, uh, you know, in this day and age. So there's enough information out there to, to know what the expectations can be. And, um, you know, so it's not like before where you, you put it out there and, you know, you hoped. Now you have enough information to work with that you kind of have a, a good idea of what it's going to do for your park. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, I want to pull around again for the the next week. So I want to make sure that I read everybody's name. Um, I'm going to put this tweet up, but uh, uh, Boblo Scooby. I'm sorry, I can't read your whole uh, username. I want to say everybody's on here, but um, the tweet from them was very good, too. Uh, how do parks plan to push the boundary of innovation or ride technology, such as Dragster being the first Strata, Maverick having new LSMs at the time? What processes go into deciding and when and who to manufacture the next innovative breakthrough in the industry? So I, I think the spirit of their question is, is this something where generally parks would go to Intamin and say, I want a 400 footer, I know you're the one for it, or typically does Intamin come to the parks saying, I've got this idea, buy it. It's a combination of both. I mean, you, first of all, in terms of pushing the boundaries and, you know, you're, you're looking at, you know, high cost attraction, you know, 25, 30, $40 million, 50, even, you know, more than that today. Um, there's only certain manufacturers that are going to be able to do those kind of attractions for you. Um, so you're really, you know, you have an idea of what, you know, what your budget is, you know, what kind of um, space you have to work with and what manufacturers can do that. And then you might put out the feelers, here's what we're looking for. And then they come back to you. Or oftentimes, you know, you're at a trade show like IAPA and you're walking around the floor and you see something that strikes you, you start talking to them and, you know, you get something that's already kind of um, in development and, and that's going to be your new attraction. So, um, you know, but the, 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 more innovative and bigger and everything that it is and pushing the boundaries it, it is uh you know not everybody can do that there's only a select number of parks that can really you know afford to do that uh, so uh you know you're, you're kind of limited there a little bit but a lot of it though you know the, the manufacturers are going to pitch you all the time you know it's like any any other type of uh you know you've got all these sales reps they're going to go to all the parks and keep talking about you know this would be great for you you know you sit down you listen maybe it is maybe it isn't um, so it works like that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree. Not that I've ever been on the receiving end of a sales pitch for a ride necessarily, but, um, y- 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 one thing that I've noticed that like, because we talked to a lot of manufacturers, you know, just doing this podcast alone and all of them have said like, you know, there are cold calls involved, you know, whether there's somebody with a, a wood mm-hmm. coaster manufacturer and we've talked to two, so you can't narrow down which one it is, but they said like, yeah, I mean, we call parks, we, we pitch ideas to parks you know, uh, when they do the sales pitch, they use no limits. You know, they build this thing and they try to hype it and stuff. And uh, then they turn around and try to manufacture it. But um, I know that, uh, like, one example 
that that comes to mind and uh, is like in the late ni- 98 99 with the whole son of beast thing um a lot of people just assume like well paramount parks wanted to build this thing to top the beast blah 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 that's true but it's only partially true because the roller coaster corporation of america actively solicited this ride to them they said they wanted to do this and paramount bought it you know so so it it's it's sometimes it's parks wanting to do something other times it's uh, manufacturers having this idea and parks figuring out ways to implement it. But I would argue, and, and you can disagree with this if you want, but I'm pretty sure, but like manufacturers have these things and then the parks kind of just pick and choose what they want to do with it. Like, am I right about that? A park does, like oh, yeah, the yeah. big dogs, Disney and stuff may, may go and say, you know, I want you to manufacture me a trackless thing. I'm going to fund the R and D and so on. But as far as, um, like, for example, like, you know, with, I, I'm not certain of this. I have no pony in the race, but like the the surf coaster at or- SeaWorld Orlando, I'm sure they didn't go to B&M and ask them to develop something like that. B&M had that idea, maybe solicited them, or maybe they saw it IAPA or something, and they implemented that in a way that made sense for their park, you know? Yeah, or you may go to, a, you know, like say you're at IAP or something, you may go to them and show them a map of your park, and here's an area that I have to work with. Here's what the topography and everything looks like. And then you start the development from that too on some rides. Absolutely. Okay. So let's uh, let's get to the next one. So this is from another uh, loyal listener, um, Flight of Taylor, at Flight of Taylor on Twitter. Uh, Taylor, thank you for being a listener, by the way, and always interacting with us on Twitter. Um, she asks, how do you know when it's time for an area to get revamped? Great question. It is a great question. And usually with that, I mean, you know, the area just kind of just needs to be freshened up and oftentimes it may you know you may not notice it as much until the area right next to it got refurbished or a new attraction Um, and then it kind of stands out a little bit more like that but uh, you know normally you know every 10 to 15 years you're gonna you know kind of try to freshen something up in the area whether it's uh, you know new pavement uh, you're painting the buildings you put a new restaurant and whatever it may be you know you're always wanting to try to you know, put something new and fresh in that area. But if you're getting a new ride, that oftentimes is going to lead to the, the biggest revamping is a new ride goes in there. You know, let's take Mystic Timbers in Rivertown at Kings Island. Well, other things came in, you know, you got the funnel cake, uh, you know, location, you know, right across from it now. Uh, you did a couple other things in there with the, uh, you know, just around it, around Mystic Timbers. So I, I think those are the kind of things that happen. Um, you know, just really a lot of times a new attraction is going to kind of dictate that, that you don't want to stop there. Banshee, you know, when that came around, now all of a sudden, you know, you want to revamp um, the coaster and rename it the bat and kind of tie it in a little bit, you know, better to the theme with, uh, with Banshee. So those types of things happen uh, with that when there's a new attraction, a lot of times is that uh, that's going to lead to other things in that area getting, getting redone. Um, you know, but you can, you know, areas are just, they're going to look worn out. They're going to look tired and that or the pavement, you know, needs to be redone. So you just look at those kind of things and, uh, you, you know, it's, it's like your house, you know, when you need to do some updates. Yeah. It's like when you, when your neighbor paints their house and you know, it's time to paint yours or yeah. in your case, Don, when the neighbor cuts the lawn, then, you know, it's the time to cut the lawn. <laughs> when everybody on the street, except me, that's when I know. That's right. Time. So you can wear your Vacoma hat that we got at, uh, at Iapa, while you're cutting a lot. I don't wear that enough. I got to wear that hat more. I put really it in the cool. car because I was going to wear it to the park uh, last weekend. And w- as soon as I got to the park, I was like, ah, I'm not wearing a hat today. I'm not a hat guy. 
I wish I was sometimes, but I'm not one. Um, okay, so, but back to the, to the matter in hand. Um, so we talk about, uh, so Taylor asks, how do you know when it's time for an area to get revamped? Um, I, I, I want to tangent this a little bit and point out that when an area gets revamped, there are so many partners and so many people involved in that, especially with a large project like Adventure Port. Adventure Port isn't even done yet as of this recording, and they add so much stuff every day. It's mind-blowing. But um, I know that uh, like Cedar Fair Creative is greatly involved in that. But they also have Jack Rouse Associates. They're doing some of the design work mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, I'm not sure what exactly they're involved with, but the whole area looks great, so they're doing a great job. But uh, the other one that didn't really get mentioned was Kingdom Productions. Uh, shout out to Mike Howard um, that did the signage, and the signage looks so good there. You know, um, yeah, definitely check them out if you're a park. Google them because they they make great signs and stuff that's specifically for theme parks and theme entertainment. But um, so many hands in the pot. So many people making decisions, so many people deciding the look and feel. Um, I I just, for a sliver of the park that's 300 feet long and so much has gone on, I can only imagine what, you know, building Epic Universe is like, you know? Yeah, and, and there's times, too, you'll redo a certain area of the park, get a new ride, and then you realize that the section next to it, you know, oh, now that stands up. Now we got to get that one. Uh, updated so it looks as good as this so there's little things like that too that it can be a domino effect i'm just always surprised with um when parks go with attention to detail when it's not required how that makes it through the budgetary process you know because between announcement and opening is about six months so it's like do we really need to put a boat in the water <laughs> you know stuff like that but hey they made it so uh good for them I, I think it adds a lot but you know if it was never there you would never notice you know no yeah no. okay um all right uh another friend of the show jim flugel at jim flugel water-based rides are part of the theme park world such as log flumes and as technology has advanced for coasters are water-based rides still relevant for theme parks in the future or is it a dying industry don are water-based rides dying i think they are still very relevant um you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, they're important, you know, especially, you know, parks that have, um, you know, the temperatures are, you know, 90s and that, you know, you want to go cool off on something, you know, I, I think they are part of the fabric of certain areas of parks, you know, the flume rides are great. So yeah, I, I think they're, uh, they're still relevant. I think they're going to be around. And I think, um, you know, everything goes in cycles that you're going to see a wave of that, you know, it might be five years from now, 10 years from now, but there's going to be another wave of, of water attractions going I in. think we're going into one, actually, uh, because when they removed Pilgrim's Plunge slash Jurassic, Giraffica, yeah, that's right, <laughs> from uh, from Holiday World, and uh, the same one from Cedar Point, nobody added like extreme water rides for a long time. Um, and now we're getting the one at Six Flags Over Texas, the Aquaman. Um so that shows that the appetite is back for it, you know, and, and by appetite, I mean, parks, not guests, guests love this mm -hmm. stuff, you know? No, they yeah. Do. I mean, I, I really think so. I, th I think that uh, we're going to see more stuff like that over the short term, mainly because you can do really good water rides far more inexpensive than roller coasters. And um, a lot of times when you open a ride, the visual appeal is part of the marketing plan for it. Um, and if you look at the Aquaman thing, that coming down and going back and forth and splashing, like, you know, Good Morning America, it's like that everybody would eat that up. Um, so, 
And the other thing about these water rides, you know, uh, whether it's a, a raft ride or it's, a, you know, the flume, one of the things about that that you always see is just how much fun the, the friends and the families are having, you know, together. And I think that's important. That's why those those attractions are always, I think to me, are always going to have a place in the industry is because it's it's those rides that everyone can do together and have a great time. I agree. I agree. And I can back that up. Uh, not necessarily the water ride, but the whole riding together thing. Um, you know, just with the new uh, Zamperla barrel spinner thing that they opened at Kings Island the other day. Um, I've had both a person in person. So a friend of mine, a person in line that I overheard and somebody posting on social media, all three saying that it's so nice to have a ride that they can ride with their whole family. You know, I think that the appeal mm-hmm. there is incredible, you know. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, very good. Um, okay. So uh, at KI Coaster, sorry, uh, Coaster Guy KI is his name. It's KI Coaster Guy is the username. How far in advance does a park official, let's say a GM or PR guy, uh, know about a large capital investment coming? And as part two, it's a two-parter, how important is secrecy? Is it good or bad that folks dig through public records or take photos from planes trying to figure out what you're doing. <laughs> Don, I'm not even going to ask you to answer this question because I don't want to deal with the repercussions of your answer. <laughs> what, what do you think my answer is going to be here? Well, I, what do you think? I'm I, um, I know that I've heard certain rants from you about parks work so hard to build these themes and to build up anticipation. They do. They do. <laughs> you know. um, but, you know, but I also want to say this. Okay. There was a time the only real source that anyone had uh, to know something was the traditional news media. You know, so you didn't have social media or anything like that. But nowadays, you know, social media is, you know, everywhere. Um, you know, it gets people talking. I don't think it's a bad thing that, that people are talking about your park. Um, you know, if they figure it out, they're still talking about you. They're still getting excited about it. They all still want to come to opening day. All those kind of things. So uh, you just see the way it's evolved. It's the world we live in today. People are going to find out. Now, the park still has, you know, for the most part, you know, they don't know what the color is going to be. They may not know the name. They're they're not going to know the logo. Um, you know, those kind of things. You still have that almost until the end. But if somebody knows it's a roller coaster before you say it's a roller coaster, it's not the end of the world because they're talking about you. They're getting excited. They're planning their visits for the next year. So it's not a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree. Um, honestly, I don't think any ride announcement has ever sold a ticket ever. I think that the people that care enough to dig into this stuff, we're going to come ride it anyway. Um, I, I think that it could rob a park of a wow moment. Um, and no, oh, it does do that. I mean, for sure it does that. And, you know, having been the, the PR person that spends a lot of time, you know, planning, the teaser campaign and the announcement. And it's, you know, that's a little bit, uh, you know, disheartening when you, you put that much time into it and somebody spoils it for you. But, you know, I always say the ones that go digging and they're calling, you know, the, the city to get blueprints and putting it on YouTube and breaking all of that kind of stuff. They're the type of people that like to know what their presents are before Christmas. Yeah. Do you think they're the ones that shake them and stuff just to make predictions? So they, so they, yeah. their parents had to wrap their like game boy in clothes. So they think they're just getting clothes. <laughs> no it's uh, no, it's, no it's all good though you know really i mean it, it's it's fun now and you know and and i like it as much as anyone else you know uh 
just going, you know, through social media and just seeing all the speculation of what's going on out there in the industry and, uh, you know, seeing, you know, who came the closest to being right. I think that's a fun thing now too, is, is uh, just seeing, you know, how much somebody might hit or, you know, how much they miss by. That's also fun too, that somebody just adamant it's going to be this and then it's not. I think that's the greatest thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, the first half of the question was how far in advance do does, you know, people within the park know about these these installments? It depends on what it is. I mean, it can be anywhere from, you know, it depends on how long it takes to install it, too, is, you know, 12, 18 months, sometimes up to 22, 24 months. But usually, you know, less than two years, you, you definitely know. You know, you don't know five years from now, 100 percent. You might have an idea on the board what you're going to do. But in terms of, you know, it's confirmed, this is what we're doing, start planning, you know, for the announcement that, you know, it's you're normally going to be anywhere from like 12 to 12 to 18 months for the most part. On average, there's going to be other times you don't know, you know, maybe until five or six months out sometimes if it's a smaller project. But if it's going to be, a, you know, a big roller coaster, it's going to be over, you know, three, four thousand feet long and those kind of things, you're going to know at least minimum, minimum 12 months out. So my understanding of how the process works um on especially on a corporate level and feel free to pick this apart uh if, if i'm wrong but basically the further out you go the less information you have so essentially it's like okay 2030 it's going to be a big capital year and then closer to like 2025 2026 it's like okay we're going to do a coaster 2027 it's like okay it's going to be a hyper 2028 it's like oh we're going to do a, a cowboy theme you know is is, is that kind of how the, how the hierarchy breaks down? Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't know you know five exactly what something's going to be you know five ten years out. It gets closer to it, and then you start to know a little bit more about it, you know. And, and when you're in a, a like a, a PR position or you're a GM, you're running your park, and you know it's it's almost like what's in front of you. You know, it's great what happens five or six seven years down the road, but you're not focused on that. You're focused on you know, more what's happening today, what's happening next month, what's going to happen within the next year or two. Yeah. Um, but I mean, w when it comes down to it, you know, would you know, like several years in advance, like when the next big capital year is going to be, or is that kind of dropped in later? Kind of like when, you know, when the two sometimes three you year do. thing. I mean, some, sometimes, yeah. I mean, you, you know, you know that, you know, say 2025 is going to be a big year, 2029 is going to be a big year. I mean, so you kind of look at it that way. I mean, you, you kind of know how that's earmarked, but that shifts a lot of times too. Oh yeah. You know, you have different things. I mean, who knew that COVID was going to come and what that was going to do to, to the entire industry or, you know, something new comes about and you might move something up because we got to get on board with that before everyone has that, you know, those kind of things too come into play. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, you know, economic downturn, that's something that's relatively unpredictable. I, I mean, that's hand in hand with COVID. I heard Kings Island was going to open a roller coaster in 2020, but COVID hit. Yeah. Yeah. You, <laughs> yeah, never, you know. never know. Exactly. Um, yeah. You, you have to be willing to adapt on the fly in this industry. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, but also like a, a, a lot of planning goes into this stuff. I mean, I, I don't want to, mm -hmm. I don't want people to walk away from this bit of the podcast thinking that, you know, next year is going to be a B&M hypercoaster. Oh, no, just kidding. We're building a restaurant. No, there, there's still, it's still construction. It's still uh, a lot of work, a lot of hands in the pot. Um, sometimes you're past the point of no return, you know, and, and sometimes you're way past the point of no return. And then you have to pull back. And that looks really bad. Like, I remember, uh, I don't remember which one it was, but do you remember like 20 years ago? Um, and this was pre-bankruptcy Six Flags when they announced uh, whatever that, 
Batman Dark Ride is for one of the parks. And then about two months later, they said, just kidding. That's not in line with our plan. Do you remember that? I don't remember which park it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would just imagine all the people that bought passes and stuff because they were excited about that, only to find out that they're not doing it anymore. You know, at least with COVID, with things like Iron Gwazi and stuff, they opened it late. And I think that that's that was a controversial decision for the same reason that I mentioned before, because people probably bought annual passes and stuff, anticipating riding it. But at the same time, it's still coming. Imagine if they. Yeah. Now, here's another thing that I'll throw out there when we're talking about how far in advance and everything with the information that's available today. Uh, you're able to make wiser decisions on your new capital plans. You know, you're not going to run the risk of missing as much as you might have, you know, 15, 20, 25 years ago when you put something in, you know, maybe it missed the mark on, on, you know, what everybody was looking for, you know, what your audience wanted and things. So now with as much information that's out there, you can look at ridership numbers. You can look at how it's something's doing at another park. Um, if it's going to fit what you're doing. So there's just so much more information out there and every, you know, all that information is used in making these decisions. So it's no longer just sitting in a room. Let's put this here. Let's put that there. You're gathering all this stuff together now and, and making sure that the decisions you make, you know, might not be what every single person wants, but it's the right decision at that time more often than not. Yeah. I would rather make an educated decision than a $25 million guess any day of the week. Wouldn't you? Oh yeah. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Very, very good. Good conversation out of that. Okay. Um, uh, at 50 or sorry, at 511 Brian, Brian Wells on Twitter, do you see a potential contraction of large corporate parks, not necessarily selling, but leaving markets? What are your thoughts on that, Don? Well, I mean, I don't think like in the foreseeable future, you know, the next you know, five or so years, no, but I mean, it's, if a park's not doing well, uh, you know, with attendance and there's no growth opportunity and, you know, those types of things are happening. Yeah, I could see that uh, down the road, but, uh, you know, short term, you know, foreseeable future, however you want to define what that length is. Uh, I don't think so. So short term, you don't think so? I mean, I, no, I don't think, you'll, I don't think you'll see parks leaving a market. No. Um, the, the, I, I think the ones that are there will be there might not have the same ownership all the time, but I think for the foreseeable future, you know, those parks will still be around. Uh, but, you know, as you get down the road, you know, who knows, but, you know, short term foreseeable future, you know, I, I don't think that'll happen. I don't think you'll see any parks, you know, just up and yeah, leaving. I mean, I, I, I agree. Um, and it was funny because I had this conversation with, uh, with my girlfriend last weekend because she, she was talking about, you know, Cedar Point's been around for 150 years and it's going to be around 500 years from now because it's been around so long. But it's like, you know, Geauga Lake was around for over 100 years and then it was gone one day, you know, and there are dozens upon dozens, if not hundreds of other examples of parks that were around for decades in the least. And now they're gone, mm -hmm. you know, it's be be yeah, because. I mean, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, if he's talking about like uh, the large, you know, grouping of parks here, not quite now, if you're talking about a one off. You know, that's a whole different story there. You know, if it's just like a family owned, you know, park, um, you know, those, it gets tougher and tougher every year for those to survive. So that can happen. But in terms of, you know, if you're talking about these, um, 
you know, these chains of parks, you know, that, I think that's what his question is from a chain. I don't think from a chain, you're going to see that. Well, anytime, you know, soon, I, but... I, 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 I agree. I don't think that we've got like a, an astro, uh, an astro world on our hands or anything. Um, but you remember how many times the parks like swap spit in the past 20 years, uh, like, um, Schlitterbahn sold to Cedar fair, Six Flags out of certain parks, Six Flags back into the same parks, yeah. you know, I, I think that anything's possible. Now, as far as. Yeah, I mean, I, th I mean, there's always going to be the, you know, changing hands and all that. That's just the reality of the industry that that's going to happen. Uh, you know, it happens in all these different types of uh, entertainment industry, you know, look at sports. I mean, those teams get sold left and right, too. So it's the same thing in our industry. Yeah, well. I, I I would argue that like you know the Oakland A's leaving for Las Vegas would be a lot more difficult than you know Six Flags over Georgia. Moving. That's a sore subject with me, by uh, the way. You're one of the eight fans in attendance. <laughs> you know, no, I mean we would need a, like three podcasts for this, but uh, no, I mean the, the fans in Oakland they deserve a lot better, and there's a reason they don't go to the game. And you have an owner that um, you know won't spend any money. Uh, he's gonna you know reap the benefits if they move to, to Vegas and um, yeah, it's it just what he's done to the fans in Oakland and holding the city in some ways, you know, hostage like that by not wanting to use any of his own money. And this guy's one of the richest owners in baseball, you know, so, and you, you just don't, you just ruined my night, Ryan, by, by mentioning that. Well, you can go watch some 30 for thirties later to feel better. Um, Okay, but but I'm saying like it, it's that operation as difficult as it is is definitely easier than moving a theme park or, or whatever. Um, but you know, as far as leaving markets, like we're not addressing the actual question, you know, um, because it's there are certain parts of the country, Washington, Oregon, Alaska, places like that, where there are some parks peppered in, but there aren't like major parks. And I would argue the industry simply isn't in those markets. Um, I can't think of anywhere would leave the market necessarily where it's oversaturated or um, it doesn't have the support in the area. I think that if anything, some of them are um, are, are underserved. Like I think New York mm -hmm. City, I think it's insane that with New York City being as big as it is in the metropolitan area, that like Dorney Park, the New Jersey Six Flags and, you know, all those other things aren't just packed to the gills every second of every day simply by the amount of people. So I think that there's growth potential, you know? No, I think so too. I, I think, you know, there's the timing is going to have to be right. Um, but yeah, I think there's an opportunity there. Yeah. I mean, if you look um, just as an, uh, an example um, for, for a, you know, a similar market, like obviously there are huge differences, but like, let's say uh, LA, um, that, I mean, that's not the same thing as New York, but that supports four major parks for huge. Mm -hmm. So you got Knott's Berry Farm, you've got Universal, you've got Disneyland, and then you've got Magic Mountain all in that market. Um, New York doesn't have anything like that. And I think it could, you know, they're building a bunch of stuff in upstate. We've talked about that. You got the Legoland up there. You've got, uh, what was the thing we talked about last week? It was like, um. It was another thing in upstate New York that was like a a themed thing. Um, but anyway, they, they got stuff in upstate New York, but maybe that's a property value thing. But I think like the New Jersey, New York, um, northern Pennsylvania area, uh, if anything, will grow. You know. Okay, well, let me ask you this, Ryan. This Now we're getting, you know, going off the rails here a little bit with this. But 
say, Ryan, you won the lottery, you got a couple billion dollars or whatever, and you want to build a park somewhere. Where are you going with it? Uh, Houston, Texas. You're going to mm-hmm. Houston. You know why? Because okay. Houston doesn't have direct service. There have been a, a bunch of people that caressed Houston about building a park there and uh, have not. Right. Uh, it can be a year-round operation. There's plenty of people. There's plenty of money. Uh, the way that Houston, like as far as the um, the economy is set up, uh, it was basically recession-proof in 2008. Uh, most of Texas was just because of the way that, you know, just the industries that are there weren't affected by it. Um, I would very confidently say Houston. What about you? I like Houston, um, but I would also take a hard look at Nashville. So Nashville, also a good choice. Why did they close Opryland? You know, there's so many different theories on that. Uh, You know, I don't know. I mean, they say they didn't draw well. I don't think I don't crowded every time I, I went. If that's true or not? Because yeah, I mean it was crowded every time I had season well, passes, so I I thought it was um, you know I, I loved it you know when I went there in the eighties and that and I was you know surprised to hear that it wasn't going to be there but that land was you know I don't know that they own the land maybe that's what um, happened to uh, either they didn't own the land or it was a situation where the land was far more valuable than the park which could happen to anything something like that yeah. you know exactly so maybe it was something with the land i do know that was always that that was kind of a common theme of the different stories you know about what to do with the land maybe it was more valuable or they didn't own it you know so whatever but uh i think that city has grown so much uh and where it's located uh i, I think nashville could be a, a perfect spot for a park someday but you and i did not win the lottery so neither of those places are going to happen. yeah but right if now. you did win the lottery and you want to invest in our park idea then send us a dm on twitter all right okay <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just I wanted to do some food for thought because uh, they had a park. It was a successful park. It was a well-known park, and it closed. So, um, but I agree. I I think that it's it's you could build on the knowledge of what's happened. Probably be outside the city in the Franklin area, you know, somewhere around there. Um, but yeah, uh, Nashville would be a, a fantastic one. Cool. All right. Last tweet. Um. So we got Mitchell at Mitchell one eight six two one zero seven eight. Thank you for the tweet, Mitchell. Weird one. How does a park sound system work? Is it all ground wired? Say like Cedar Point, for example. Don, is Cedar Point sound system ground wired? I have no idea. Uh, I'm, my background is PR, marketing, now social media. I have no idea uh, how sound works. I'm not a tech person. Ryan, you're a lot closer than I am to this type of work. So I don't know um, if the stuff is ground wired or not. Um, so what I do know is that the modern sound system, particularly, I believe at Kings Island, it's this fiber running to it. So for the best audio fidelity. Um, but fun fact, um, and if you ask this question, you probably know this already, but this is a fun fact for everybody else. Um, the audio in, in modern theme parks is zoned. And by zoned, I don't just mean that you know, Fantasyland has different music than Cowboy World or whatever. It's zoned in a matter that's way smarter than that. So, for example, when the parade's coming through, you're not going to get the audio until the parade gets there. You know, and you can see that in even seasonal parks now. Grand Carnival at all the Cedar Fair parks had that upgrade. That's why the parade kicks off at 7 o'clock or whatever. 7.15 comes, you're at the fourth show stop, and you're still hearing promos for the parade. And it's not until right before the parade gets into view that you hear it. 
Um, so that's called zoning. Um, that runs off the time code stuff. If you want to learn more about that, we had that episode with Joe Rossi from Rossi's Famous Fireworks. So we talked about the time code and how that syncs up the lights and the sound and the drones and the fireworks and so on. Um, but uh, is it grounded? We're not the right people for that. But awesome question. No, though. not at you know, all. Very cool. No, we appreciate your questions. And again, if we used your question, please, um, you know, tweet that the attractions group answered my question and we will retweet you. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Make sure you tag us at attractions underscore GRP. All right, Don, you know, I didn't think we'd fill uh, enough time with this episode, but we're not even, we're just now at the next segment and we're 55 minutes in almost 56 minutes. So, so we got to get, we, this you know, let's get past. So really quickly, this is a segment we like to call the pick six. What do we got going on first, Don? <laughs> Number one, Six Flag, Saudi Arabia. They're scheduled to open in October of 2024. Okay. Uh, so I understand that Six Flags is just an operational partner or they're just lending their name or something on that. I'm going to look up the article itself. Six theme lands here. Uh, record-breaking rides and attractions. Uh, they've, they're going to have what they're calling the world's longest, fastest roller coaster. That sounds awesome. Sounds great on paper. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I remember that wasn't the one in like Abu Dhabi that was supposed to be like a 500 foot coaster that had a lift hill and stuff. And it was like, mm -hmm. yeah, let's chalk that up to something that's never going to happen. Um, Saudi Arabia actually has a lot of money. Um, let's say it's from oil. I'm not sure. Actually, I am sure because they're very clear about that. But uh, they're trying to bring more entertainment to Saudi Arabia uh, and they're willing to shell out tons of money for it. That's why I'm actually entertaining this as news rather than just just fluff like the, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, because they they would do that. Um, I mean, as you remember, actually, you don't remember because you but uh, WWE puts on an event there every year in like a 60 or 70,000 seat soccer stadium. Um, the the Arabian or sorry, the Saudi government uh, paid them something like $300 million over the course of like five years, just as an agreement to do that. So they're, they're putting a lot of money into this stuff. Would you go? Um, you know, if, if I, I might, I might, it's not something that, uh, you know, it would be 100% of my bucket list, but if the opportunity was there, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to visit the park, but I don't know. I kind of like being in America, so it's whatever. Okay, uh, story number two. So uh, Splash Mountain number two, the one at Disneyland, has done its final splash. So rest in peace, Splash Mountain. Um, okay, so Splash Mountain obviously closed at the Orlando Park for Mohana. Mohana. Hopefully I'm saying that right overhaul uh, several months ago, but uh, the Disneyland one outlasted us a little bit, always uh, labeled as controversial. It's, it's based off of uh, the movie song of the South, which would not be acceptable to be produced in today's world. Disney has retracted it from all of their materials. It, they act like it didn't exist, which is probably the right thing to do in my opinion. Um, but the ride uh, is closing and it, it is closed at Disneyland. Will you miss splash mountain? At Disneyland, Don? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm one of the, you know, generations of Disney Park fans that, uh, you know, absolutely loved Splash Mountain at both 
Disneyland and Magic Kingdom at Disney World in Orlando. So yeah, definitely. You know, the uh, the thing about Splash Mountain and Robert Niles, uh, he wrote an article about this. He calls out three lessons of Splash Mountain. He said, flume rides are awesome. Good animatronics beat screen-based animations for telling stories and attraction spaces. And music always elevates the ride experience. And Splash Mountain, it brought all three of those to the table. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with with all of that. Um, yeah, so rest in peace, Splash Mountain. Um, Disneyland is a place that'll never be completed. Uh, I'm sad to see it go. Everybody's sad to see it go. But we have a new ride to look forward to. You know, so. and what is that we always say? You know that uh, you know it's okay to respect history, but you cannot revere it. That is true, Don. What's story number three? Six Flags. They got a retail partnership. Talk about that, Ryan. Um, yeah, so Six Flags is partnering uh, with Amazon. And there was another one, too. Let me pull up the article itself. Um, so, yeah, they're partnering. This is uh, Six Flags uh, Magic Mountain. And sorry, I feel totally unprepared. Okay, so Amazon and Coca-Cola what else yeah, I know. Totally. <laughs> um, well, it's the thing is I read these articles and then I put them in my, my document and stuff. And then you ask me about it and I'm, I, I don't remember what I had read earlier. <laughs> okay. So, uh, but anyway, they're partnering with Amazon and Coca-Cola, uh, for retail establishments within the parks. Um, you know, this is something that's, it's not particularly new, especially for Six Flags because they never shied away from the corner corporate partnerships, but these are some big ones here. Uh, two of the largest Coca-Cola's or two, two of the largest retailers on earth. Yeah. So, uh, uh, this is the six flags in California. So Valencia, California, which is magic mountain as well as great America and Jackson, New Jersey. Um, they will introduce an Amazon Coca-Cola sponsored quick six micro market, micro market that leverages Amazon's emerging just walk out cashless store technology without having to wait to check out at the register. Coca-Cola beverages and snacks will be are widely sold at each restaurant or each establishment. I can't even read now, Don. We should not record these things. I, I don't know what my problem is. Well, you just say grab and go. That's all like a grab and go kind of concept there that, uh, you know, the thing that stands out to me about that is just, you know, it, it's a way to, um, you know, minimize your wait time. You know, your time's valuable when you're at a park and that grab and go is going to help you save some time. I, I completely agree. Um, the technology has existed from Amazon for quite a while. Um, what they do is they, I don't know exactly how it works. I imagine it uses near field communication, but what it is is you grab something off the shelf, you put it in your basket, you walk out the store, the, the, the door to the store, the portal in the store knows exactly who you are and the products you took and charges your Amazon account. Uh, if they could do that with everything, first of all, it'd be very difficult to have theft because you'd definitely have to take something out of the packaging or else you get charged for it, in which it's not theft. Um, and secondly, you're right. The lines would be way shorter. Um, I can't wait till something like this is, is uh, put on a larger scale with more stuff, you know. And what's next? All right. Uh, so keeping up pace with our, uh, you know, our overrunning show already, Dynamic Attractions. Uh, dynamic attractions sold for $2 million, uh, which is a bummer because that's pennies on the dollar, but they did avoid uh, being liquidated. Uh, dynamic attractions is uh, responsible for Soren of uh, the Harry Potter ride. Well, forbidden journey. Mm -hmm. um, 
and they were sold to a Hong Kong based financial services firm. I don't know what a Hong Kong based financial services for firm would do with dynamic attractions. I imagine they're going to put them in better financial shape uh, and then resell them, but I'm fine with that because they do fantastic work. So I don't want to see them dissolve. You have any thoughts? Yeah, it seems like it's one of those things. You're, you, I think you're on to something there where it's a buy and flip kind of a situation. Exactly. All right. What's the next one, Don? Free beer at Bush Gardens and SeaWorld coming back this summer. Now, I remember back in, you know, the 80s and 90s when I was going to Bush Gardens, whether it's in Williamsburg or Tampa, they always had the, uh, the Budweiser beer sampling. Uh, so that is coming back. I miss, um, you know, my, the first time I visited SeaWorld and Bush Gardens was on right on the cusp before the InBev purchase. I kind of miss that. I, I miss that that was like a cool thing in the Clydesdales and all that stuff. But I'm glad to see that back too, aren't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't want it to be like a frat boy, like, you know, kegger kind of thing. Not that kind of, you know, you, you just go there, you just want to sample it. That's all it is. Well, yeah, and, and the main thing that I, I really uh, wouldn't mind is kind of like with the with the Coca-Cola experiences in Atlanta and even the World of Coke is and if you can sample stuff from around the world and so on, like make it classier. I think that would be kind of cool. Mm -hmm. yeah, awesome. Exactly. Man, we are really rushing through this. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, number six, uh, the Disney CFO discusses how Disney Plus influences theme park installments. So it's funny how no one's ever discussed this, uh, but he kind of mentioned in an interview that they make a lot of decisions or they, they at least keep the data on what intellectual property to use based on how people react to it on Disney Plus. Don't you wish you had um, a streaming service at your local park <laughs> so that you can decide what people like and, and do a theme based off of that? Oh, yeah. you know, I think that's brilliant. You know? Yeah. When you have all that information, you know, it is, it is so cool what you can do with that and how you can use it to, you know, just for all your planning, just everything else. And, you know, I, I thought it was an interesting read. Yeah, I did too. Awesome. Hey, we popped through that really quickly. That was the fastest pick six ever. That was like a pick five. You know, except we did six. That was a That's stupid right. joke. All right. Well, you know, uh, Don, any final words of wisdom? Yeah, I got a little bit of breaking news for uh -oh. everybody here. I think that uh, mark your calendar, August 17th. More details to come, but August 17th, I am going to do a Bucky's meetup in Richmond, Kentucky. This is the first time I've heard about this, just for the record. That's cool. That's why I said breaking news. It just developed. Uh, no, but I'm going to do a, uh, I'm going to be heading down uh, to Tennessee for that weekend. So that morning, I'm going to be going to Bucky's. I want all the other Bucky's fans, if you're available, let's all get there together. Let's get a big group photo. Let's spend hundreds of dollars. Let's just, you know, do the Bucky's. You should thing, make right? a big patty melt, um, like wedding cake and eat that together. Yeah. Well, they do, they do things like tweet ups and everything else. So I'm doing a Bucky's meetup. You know, <laughs> it's the first of its kind. So uh, again, August 17th. Uh, I'll have more details what time, you know, probably around 10 a.m. or something like that, you know, around that range. But uh, just how many Bucky fans we can get uh, to all meet up at the same time in Richmond. That Kentucky. would be fantastic. We should do a show from Bucky someday. That'd be cool. Awesome. We yeah, should. that's that's fantastic. August 17th. That's perfect. All right. Well, again, thank you for uh, for listening again this week. We um, we really enjoyed these tweets. These were fantastic questions. Um, so make sure you follow us on Twitter at attractions underscore GRP. We're going to do this every couple months, maybe every two months or so. So keep an eye out for it because we'll hopefully field your question next time. Um, make sure you that you follow us on your favorite podcast apps, Google, Spotify, Apple, whatever. 
Uh, follow us on YouTube by searching for the Attractions Group Podcast. All these links are in the description. And uh, DM us if you are interested in any of the sponsorship opportunities. But once again, I'll be in lovely Tennessee. I'll stop at Bucky's for you, Don. And uh, you do that. Uh, you know, I'll enjoy your picture. Show me what you got to eat uh, while you're there and uh, take pictures of the new merchandise. You know, they have, they do the same thing. You know, when it's seasonal, have different things coming out different mm-hmm. times of the year. Um, you'll be in June. So maybe some of the 4th of July stuff will be yeah. coming out. Uh, so definitely share those. Yeah, I, um, I don't have a Bucky shirt yet. I actually don't have any Bucky's apparel. I bought a bunch of stuff. I bought like the magnet, the uh, breath mints with the. It's like a. Uh, oh wait, wait, wait! You you have no Bucky's no, apparel. No, none, none. I've got tons of Bucky stuff, but no apparel. So I I haven't found a shirt that called my name yet, but I really want one. I'm serious. Uh, uh, okay. I'll get a um. Actually, I'll I'll try to get a Bucky's uh Hawaiian shirt, but I'll send you a picture to make sure that we're not twinning or anything. So hopefully, it's a different one from what you have. Not that you won't buy it in August next time you go down, but. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Have a great week.